welcome back to the show today i am joined once again by coach andrea andrea as always thank you for being here thank you for having me back of course it is always a pleasure so first talk us through kind of what has been going on with your own trade lately really nothing has changed since the last time we were on here i'm still in a neuro phase, I think I'm on week five right now. Um, but one week last week, um, I was traveling um, there, so didn't uh, I still trained three times, and I trained yeah. probably harder than I do at home because I had all the machines and stuff. But anyways, um, week five of neuro diet hasn't changed other than adding a free meal once a week, so everything is still just rolling. <laughs> what are your free meals typically like? So, honestly, I've just fixed the normal meals I would at home uh, for the most part. I think, well, one of them was there. So, it was a steakhouse. I think I got a piece of fish. Um, So, nothing too crazy. I think this weekend, um, Nick is going to fix dinner, which will be nice. We're going to have, like, fish tacos or something like that. Um, So, it's not anything crazy it's pretty much something that i would normally fit in my macros i just don't have the like mental whatever to to have to fit it in and track it my favorite of almost always stay or tacos uh a handful not a ton it's something that i've started using a little bit more um for people who are Mostly, um, eh, well, no, I, I started to say something that wasn't really that true. Um, yeah, I've started to use it with a handful of people. So if somebody really enjoys going out to dinner and it's more stress than it's worth to try and fit that in and it's not going to be perfect anyway, then that I think is a good place to use it. Or, um, a couple of people who just are uh, a little bit more stressed out by the tracking. Um, then I'll use it in that case or even to the extreme on the other side where they're almost like overly dependent on tracking every little thing, then, um, we'll use it to just kind of get them to, uh, relax for a little bit and, and not worry about that for a meal. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I have a lot of clients that fall in the latter end of the spectrum that you mentioned where. It's something that's mentally beneficial just to see how like easy it is to make any progress. Now, I think the context of this is important. So like not so much now as summer's coming up and typically like most people's cuts are right now. So like I have a much larger percentage of clients cutting right now than I did four months ago, for example. But like through the winter, a large majority of my clients in a building phase, especially because like most people in a building phase have already gone through that progression where like, hey, got through the initial fat loss phase and maybe like a previous like recomp type of phase. Um, a lot of my clients in the building phase will use it because I also, I, I think it's valuable to kind of like just give people a little bit more flexibility. Um, again, like precision within macros is important, but in a building phase, I think it's also very helpful for people to see like, hey, I can enjoy myself a little bit. I can like have an entree and a couple glasses of wine and like split a dessert with my significant other. It's okay, right? It doesn't ruin my body composition. I handle this perfectly fine. For most people, really what I found from a coaching perspective is that in the building phase, have that, they're much more adherent the rest. Where a lot of times like what 
what I would see in the past with building phases is like people would try to get a little bit too flexible with their foods. They'd be filling it with like, instead of like 89% whole foods, it'd cl- fall closer to like percent, right? Food quality really start to suffer. Micronutrient status really start to suffer, right? And then that leads to this cascade of downstream effects. Like we don't feel as good. We don't perform as good. We don't recover as good. So really like free meal isn't it. The free meal is an interesting thing. I think it's important to like separate this from, like I don't frame it. We don't frame it as it, you know, where it's like, hey, just like smash whatever. Like I think, I think the idea like, hey, let's try to keep this relatively reasonable, but like also enjoy yourself, right? And then just get right back to it the next meal. That is something that I found very helpful. So I, I think that's really like one of my favorite started implement within the last year. Yeah, I agree that that like small shift in wording from cheat meal to free meal or untracked meal makes a big difference in the mentality around it. Yeah, but it also depends a lot on the client. Like I know I have some clients as well. We're kind of working more on like still being okay with getting more flexible, right? And like still continuing to improve that relationship a little bit where like, hey, we're not quite ready for that. So we do still need a little bit more structure to this yet. But I do also think it's like, and like this, I don't want to put out a blanket statement here, but generally I think it's like a healthy thing to be able to implement from time to time. But also we need to look at it within the context, like where you're at within like this phase, like approach, right? Like if you're trying to get ready for a photo shoot, and you're a couple of weeks out, like this might not be ideal. But anyway, so to get into the topic for today, today we are kicking it off just talking through the biggest mistakes we've made in our own training nutrition over the last however many years. Let's see, I started really taking training. Definitely. When did you get into training? Uh, well, high school actually. So like 2006, <laughs> 2005, okay. 2006. Yeah. Okay. okay. So kick it off. Like what's the first mistake that comes to mind? Talk us through it. Well, I, I think that the programming that I started out with was not terrible. It was meant for, so in the, the at the school that I went to, it was small. The um strength training coaches are the football coaches so they just geared it toward football players like it was basically a a way to do that during the school day um so it was i think it's called bigger faster stronger does that sound right we follow that exact same program yeah (laughs) yeah i think probably every high school a football coach had that so anyway that's what i started with it wasn't terrible i remember deadlifting probably with really terrible form um bench pressing overhead pressing so it wasn't it wasn't bad by any means um after that i was on the track team in college for a very short time we did uh a lot of machine-based stuff because the track team only had access to like the common uh weightlifting area which is it's basically like a community center it's just a bunch of there's like some dumbbells and some machines um so we did a lot of machine work there and i was started running on my own because i thought i knew better than the coach and i thought i wasn't doing enough which it turned out to really hurt my performance so i was doing long distance running trying to compete in a fast hit fast twitch uh sport which is high jump 
um, didn't go very well. So I was doing long distance running and um, worked up to where I was competing in half marathons. And I just tried to fit every single thing into my training week all at one time. Like I remember writing out an example training week, trying to fit every single thing in. And I I would have like yoga and this thing called seal fit that we were doing at the time, which is like long distance uh, CrossFit. And running, it is. And running and weight training, it was like way too much packed in. So that was one big mistake that I made. And then with my diet at that time, I was just kind of eating on and off like paleo style, um, which isn't necessarily bad if you can match the macro profile to what you're doing. But I wasn't really paying attention to that aspect of it. I was just eating a ton of eggs and almonds and sweet potatoes and not really paying attention to, I think I was probably way over consuming fats. And um, I ate a decent amount of carbs, I think, but probably not enough for how much running I was doing. And then um, probably because of all of this, we started trying to start a family. It wasn't happening. And so they told me, stop running. And I wish, like I've talked to some clients about this. I wish I knew at that point, what I know now is just that stress was too high because I was under eating and overtraining. It's not that I needed to just stop running and gain 10 pounds, which is what they told me. Um, but I needed to lower my stress overall, like, uh, physical stress. So then I, uh, started weight training, which I think was a step in a positive direction for sure. But, um, at that point I was still pretty, pretty, uh, I was under eating, I think still at that point I had started to track a little bit but wasn't eating enough protein, was still tracking with the goal of eating the least amount of food possible, which I think is really common. Uh, And then um, started powerlifting. So my training evolved over time. So I had started powerlifting. But at that point, what I was doing was training six days per week and nearly everything was to failure. And I don't know how I survived it, but um, that is... um, definitely the next mistake that I would point out in my training is I just didn't didn't realize that I should be managing my overall volume for the week I I uh was training high frequency high volume high intensity like all of it all at once and that's when uh I had a um Let's see, Nolan would have been like one and two and three around that time. So not getting like the best of sleep, not fueling myself enough and not taking enough time for rest. Um, so that was that was a lot. And um, that was not that long ago. So <laughs> and I've come a long way within that short time. So that's been, what was that, five years ago? Um, and it's just been a really slow evolution of learning what what I can do to improve my strength or my physique um, while still fueling myself enough so that I'm not doing more harm than good. I think that's so important because I think so many people think just working harder and doing more always yields a better result, right? 
where a lot of times that's not the case because I really like the analogy of looking at it like, and I, Christopher Barrick has, who I heard make this analogy, so credit to him for this, but kind of looking at it like we're digging a ditch, right? So we have like, we're going into training. Every time we train, we like dig a ditch, right? So like, let's imagine like your ba- your baseline pre-training is like, the height of the land for this analogy actually gets kind of complex whenever I try to explain it. But okay, so when we're going into um, that training session, we incur a certain amount of stimulus to building muscle tissue within that training session, but we also incur a certain amount of fatigue, right? And the fatigue is kind of like the depth of that ditch. So for us to actually progress, the thing people don't understand is it's not just trade hard and we grow, we build new muscle. It is very much. First, we have to get rid of that fatigue that we created before. And then once we recover from the fatigue that was incurred from that session, then past that, like if we have any recovery resources left, that's where we like grow, right? But we have to fill in that dirt. We have to like fill that ditch back in before we can like raise the height of the land further. Does that analogy make sense to you? Yeah, it does. But like all these things, like how stressed we are. Um, the amount of volume we're doing, the amount of intensity we're doing, like all of those things are just going to create a deeper ditch, right? And like we have more that we have to recover from. And that's, that's such an important, that's the plug that so many people are missing where like so many women that we work with are starting in this place where it's like, Hey, I'm crushing myself in the gym. I go six days a week. I hate hit, but I do hit like five days a week as well. I'm trying like, honestly, your, your story is surprisingly similar to a lot of people who start coaching with us where it's again like i'm doing all these things i'm pushing myself so hard and not seeing the results right and one it's like hey we might be sometimes it's a matter of doing too much like like orange theory or even like a crossfit style of training like where we're doing that super frequently and it's like hey one we're not actually getting your body with the right stimulus for the traders you want to see like a perfect example of that is you talking about doing distance running when you want to be a better sprinter right where it's like hey the stimulus of the magical goal were very similar. It's like I'm doing Orange Theory or even CrossFit or Peloton. And my goal is to like build more lean muscle, right? And build increased definition, whatever that may be. And it's okay, like, hey, this isn't the best stimulus to achieve that, right? Like the way you're training isn't going to get, send your body a very strong signal to achieve that outcome, right? We need to be focused on hypertrophy. We need to experience a significant amount of time under tension. We need to take adequate rest and we need to be training close to failure, right? And we need to make sure the rate limiter is actually the target muscle tissue that we're trying to train, right? Like that's the thing that is failing or that's the thing that's causing us to upset, not necessarily failing, but getting close to failure. So that I feel like like where you're coming from is very relatable to where a lot of our clients start. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree with that. It seems like it should, like for a lot of things in life, the harder you work, the better results that you get, but with fitness and your body in general, unfortunately, that's not how it works with that ditch analogy. I feel like everybody or not everybody, a lot of people think that each different type of stress is digging a different hole. And so you have psychological stress or like stress from school and that's its own little hole over here to the side. And you can fill that in when school lets lets up a little bit. And then you have training in a different hole. And that, you know, you can dig that ditch separately and then fill that back in with like a deload week or something. But it it all is one big like pile together where unfortunately like the stress from other areas contributes. And so if you have 
too much training, too much cardio, too much hit all at the same time, and you're not recovering, like filling that back in, then you get into trouble. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think this is where like understanding how to use different stimuli where we have neurological phase, we have hypertrophy phase, we have metabolic phases and understanding based on the client feedback, based on where they're at, not only in their life, but also in their diet, because we also have to understand like dieting is a big stressor here. And being able to match the training to that, being able to pull back on intensity and volume, or again, like enter a metabolic phase or a neurological phase when it's called for. I feel like that's such a valuable tool to have. And that's like, I would say like the things that we've learned in the last like year to two, that I think like with clients is definitely one of the most value as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Cool, cool. So to get things, I would straight up say like one of the biggest mistakes I made. So in college was when I really got in training big time. But for like the first four years I took training so seriously, I would train hella consistently. I never miss. I pushed myself extremely hard, but I wasn't tracking my nutrition at all. Right. It was like, uh, that kind of seems like a pain in the ass. But the reality is the thing that I didn't understand then was very much like this analogy of your training is kind of like the gas pedal. Your nutrition is like the fuel in the tank, right? Like your nutrition, your pre-workout nutrition is going to make a noticeable difference in how will you perform? How will you recover? What should be post-workout? And really, like, what should be across the course of the day? And this, of course, depends on like where the client is at. Like something we want to do is very much meet clients where they're at. So like if nutrient timing right now is overwhelming, that's definitely something we work in at phases. But like across the course of the day, most importantly, the amount of protein you eat. And I would say like protein spacing is something we typically focus on like implementing pretty quickly out of the gate because that is a little bit more important because we want this rate of muscle protein synthesis to be higher than the rate of muscle protein breakdown to build muscle tissue. But um, well, I don't want to get into that, but really like it's cool. And this is such a common mistake that so many people make where it's, okay, I'm pushing so hard in the gym, but I'm not giving one, my body the fuel it needs to train or to push hard, right? We know like protein pre-workout, we know what carbohydrates pre-workout are going to help significantly in our training performance, but also like the rest of the day, I'm not giving it the fuel that I need for recovery. And like similar to so many clients to start with us, I was like, hey, I feel like I'm eating healthy, right? I'm eating, I feel like I'm eating a decent amount of protein, but I didn't have quantifiable data to back that up. And my results really struggled because of that. I struggled to recover because of that. So I think that that's one mistake that I definitely made that's definitely very common for clients as well. Any thoughts on that? No, sorry. I didn't realize you were waiting for thoughts. It's all good. Um, I would think that's so common though. Like you, you can have the perception that you are eating all this protein or that you are eating, you know, low fat or healthy or whatever it may be. But if you're not tracking it, it's just so easy to lie to yourself. Oh yeah. And you made a great point earlier too about like folk following this kind of quote unquote paleo age style of eating. Where I remember, like, I heard about healthy fats. So I was like, hey, fat- <laughs> I'm going to need a ton of fat. So, like, every, for me, I was going hard on, these omelets were so good, but it was like, I would probably have eight, 10 eggs a day, which is absolutely nothing wrong with eggs. Eggs are definitely a quality, like, fat source. But it was like a ton of eggs. I was probably having, like, 10 pieces of bacon a day because, hey, fat is great. I was constantly snacking on 
almonds where again, like there's abs- none of this is to demonize fat. Like some fat is important. We need adequate fat to get the essential fatty acids that our body can um, synthesize on its own. But it's very, very easy. I would say like within new client starting, it's very rare to see someone's actually overeating protein or carbohydrates. Very, very common to see someone's overeating fat, right? Because fat is very calorically dense. Um, fat's also, and we're somewhat splitting hairs here, but fat is going to be a little bit easier for your body to store as body fat versus carbohydrates or protein. And we also know like when it comes to training performance, unless we're like in this very niche scenario where we're like, quote unquote fat adapted, and this is going to depend a lot on the modality we're doing like for for the people that we are speaking to on this podcast, where your goal is to typically get lean and build muscle tissue, carbs are going to be so important, right? When you look at the energy systems that your body uses to fuel the style of training we're doing, we're typically like most sets, most of our sets are going to be pretty intense within our training and they're going to last about 40 to 60 seconds, right? Like within that, your body's, the energy system that we're using there, the anaerobic lactic system primarily it's going to be fueled by carbs. So if we're under eating carbs, we're basically going to be short on fuel through our training. Um, and then similarly, like post-workout, if a majority of our, or if a larger percentage of our carbs are, or our calories are coming from carbohydrates, we know that in that post-workout window, your muscles are basically going to turn into a sink for glucose, right? Insulin sensitivity is much higher, basically meaning that so many more of those carbohydrates in are going to going to be shuttled to the muscle cell, which improves body composition and it, of course improves muscle or muscle fullness. So like from a nutrient protein perspective as well, and like staying leaner when the goal is building muscle tissue, not necessarily get leaner. And it, like I mean even when we're trying to get leaner, like from a performance perspective and adding or maintaining muscle tissue. Again, like biasing carbs a little bit more makes sense. But that was definitely a big mistake that I made. And then I know like even when I first like successfully lost weight, so for me, like over the course of college, I gained 75 pounds and I told myself that that was mostly muscle. And the reality is like, it was less than 50% muscle. 75 pounds of muscle is a lot. <laughs> I know that's, that's <laughs> myself. But then when I was looking in the mirror, it's like, uh, I remember this. I saw this picture of myself shirtless and I was like, okay, that was definitely not 75 pounds <laughs> that I gained. But I was telling myself that for like five years. Uh, so with that, even then, like the diet that five, the first diet I followed that actually like quote unquote worked for me, because I tried tracking macros for a bit. I kind of half-assed it. I tracked like 50% of my days. And even then, like my days were incomplete within my tracking, which is a different topic. Um, but like macros aren't going to work if that's how we go about tracking so it was like, oh, that didn't really work for me. So I found this diet where it was basically a fast until noon. And then I would eat ground beef and avocados. And I would have like some frozen veggies in the mix. Those are my two meals of the day. And then in the evening, I would eat a banana with peanut butter. Now, this worked for me very well because it pulled my calorie intake way, way down. But at the time, like my thought was, I think this is working because I'm not eating carbs, right? Where again, reality for me was just like, the food I was making was so nasty. Like avocados were just, I got to the point where I just, avocados just made me feel so sick. And I like had this competition with myself where like, okay, I can't be so off. I got eating avocados. I know it's set this timer. Like by the end of this, I have to like have my avocado down. And I was just like, at that point, I was just straight up like eating a half, half an avocado and like not putting anything on it. Just like trying to get it down. It was, and I was like 
gagging the whole time. It was disgusting, but still not a big fan of avocados outside of guacamole because of that. But, um, I remember like throughout that process. So I did lose 45 pounds, I believe, but throughout that process also, like I was constantly feeling so much bigger, right? And the other side of that is with my training, I was training consistently at 6 a.m. I wasn't needed to help me. And I know a client just on top, hop on board with you is actually coming from a very similar situation. And I know we talked about this, like, like it's exciting for her because that's so much lowering the fruit I would take advantage of where it's like, she's training hard, she's training consistently, but she's had trouble building muscle tissue. But the thing she's been doing is fasting. She's going into her workouts fasted and she's not eating a post-workout meal for a very long period of time. In a very similar fashion to what I was doing there. Where again, we know that, okay, first, after we've gone through the night, like glycogen stores are going to be, like liver glycogen is going to be somewhat depleted. We know that going into a training session, a muscle, the rate of muscle protein breakdown is going to be elevated. Muscle protein synthesis is not going to be elevated because we haven't had any dietary protein. So then like when we're going into that, Already, we're going to be in a little bit more of a catabolic state. Whereas if we have some carbs in our system, we know that's going to increase performance. Some protein is going to spike muscle protein synthesis. And then same thing post-workout, right? Like getting in a bowl of carbohydrates and protein is really going to aid our recovery. Those carbs are going to help put our body in a more anabolic state because they're going to bring cortisol down. Um, that protein is going to help once again stimulate rate of muscle protein synthesis. So I remember by the end of that, like it was, hey, I lost 45 pounds, but now I just kind of look skinny fat, right? I don't, I, I could, like, I was so much weaker. I could tell I had lost a significant amount of muscle tissue. And I mean, no, a lot of times if you lose a significant amount of body weight, no matter what, sometimes we will see numbers decrease. And it's important not to be too attached to that because your leverage is chained, especially in movements like your bench press, your back squat, if you're deadlifting, your deadlifts, where your leverages change. So some of that, it's just due to that, not necessarily like, hey, you lost muscle tissue. But I remember being so much bigger. And again, I was like, oh, this is, I lost 45 pounds, but I still just look like, like you put this perfectly where it's like my body basically has the same shape. It's just a smaller version of itself. So those to me are a couple of the biggest mistakes that stand out. Any thoughts on any of that? So common, like, Working with clients, every single one of them that comes in has one or more of these same uh, mistakes that they have made that we've just laid out. So hopefully this is really relatable for people because I know like I was just obsessively consuming content around the time that I had started um, powerlifting and that content from like Lane Norton and 3DMJ and those like bodybuilder, powerlifter, um, content creators. Well, they would probably hate that I just said that. Researchers, um, they that is what helped me like realize that that is something that I would uh, benefit a lot from from changing up and like adding those pre workout carbohydrates and post workout carbohydrates and tracking my protein and making sure that I'm getting about a gram per pound. So. Um, I, that's just like so common. Like, I think everybody, when they start, goes through something like that before they find what will, uh, help them to both get really good results, but then also be able to do it in a way where they stay healthy internally and externally and be able to maintain that for long term. Absolutely. And I feel like we could do a whole nother episode touching on the internal health side of things. Like, I know you mentioned like struggling to conceive 
right? And like, hey, mm-hmm. why is this an issue? Where more and more, that's something that we see. And I know you work with a lot more in that regard than I do. I, only, I actually only have one person on my roster that's infected as well. But that's like a, that's a much deeper dive. It's somewhat of a different topic as far as the internal health perspective goes. But we kind of wanted to make this episode a quick hitter because really what I'll say is I think that from both of our perspectives, all of these mistakes are just so common. I would say almost every new plan that starts with us is making at least one of these mistakes. Um, I would say before we wrap this up, the final mistake that I made was not considering RIR. So I kind of saw this drastic swing where similar to you, like I think all throughout college, I was training like every set to failure, which is probably going to be less than optimal if, you, if you're doing a decent amount of volume. That's going to depend on the number of hard sets you're doing per week. But for me, it was like five, six sets of everything, right? And this was like a college where all workouts were like these two and a half to three hour marathons and every set is to failure. Um, but then I, I understood when I first started hearing people talking about volume, it was sets times reps times weight, right? So mathematical volume. And then there was no mention of like, and we need to be about this close to failure. So for me, that's like, oh, cool. So as long as I rack up my volume, like as long as I'm increasing my volume over time, I don't have to focus on intensity so i remember like like okay so i'm gonna get crazy jack quads and here's what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna put 135 on the bar but i'm gonna do like 10 sets of 10 and the reality is like i was probably stopping with like eight to ten reps less than the tank but it was like i just did so much volume right and then i i remember doing that for a few months and it's okay there's truly nothing happening here which i'm very surprised at this point that i didn't pick a little bit deeper into that but I mean, the thing to understand is to actually grow new muscle tissue, we need to fatigue a muscle fiber within or the muscle fibers within a specific tissue to at least a few reps try a failure, right? And this is the theory we have called effective reps, which is basically the last few reps before failure are the most effective for stimulated hypertrophy or muscle growth. Now, within this, we don't know like exactly where this marker is, but a good rule of thumb is like if you're stopping more than three reps try a failure, you're probably not doing too much to actually stimulate muscle growth within, which I think is another super common mistake we'll make. I know we talked about this a little bit with like the most common mistakes we see women making, stopping them from building muscle and losing fat. I think is what that episode was called. But it's so common where I think that so many people go in and like, okay, my program says four sets of 10. Um, I've used 25 pounds on whatever my dumbbell row for the last three years. I'm going to continue to do four sets of 10 with that same weight I've always used. And not really consider how close I am to failure, right? We're just understanding that, like, hey, we would have stopped most sets with about one to two reps left in the tank as a general rule of thumb. If you really start to consider that and like, okay, how close am I truly to technique breakdown, right? The point I couldn't do another rep with good form. And like, once you start thinking about that as well, that really helps people understand. And I will say like, if this is something you struggle with, record yourself doing a movement. Because a lot of times, even in your head, it'll feel like, oh man, that was hard. I couldn't have done very much more. And then you watch the form videos and it's like, man, there really wasn't any slowdown here in my reps at all, right? Like I definitely could have done four to five more reps. So I think like from there, if you're not working with a coach, like one, this is part of why film videos are such a big piece of our coaching service, because oftentimes like the intensity just isn't in place and the execution often isn't in place. And a lot of times what we'll find is when we improve intensity and execution, so many people can go from training like six days a week in a subpar manner. And also I would say improve the stimulus where like the style of training that you're following actually matches up with your goal. 
when we can put all those things in place, we can get so much more by way of growing new muscle tissue out of significantly less. Like a lot of people can go from training six days a week to three days a week. I would say the majority of our clients probably train four days a week. And it's a rarity to have too many people outside of like the more advanced clients train more than that. But I would think that's, again, like my thoughts on like the final big piece that I left on the table for a long time. And I think so many other people do as well. Any kind of concluding thoughts on that? Yeah, I've obviously done the same thing. Like I started out with the, um, what were they? It was Nike Training Club's app that I used for a while where um, it was basically like you would use a weight, but it was just to get you kind of tired. And there wasn't any, I mean, it it obviously didn't mention RIR. It was like a time-based thing. Um, But that's something that I never even gave consideration to. Once you get to a point where you're using more than like three to four pounds with a particular exercise, it's going to feel hard no matter what. So you have to realize like just because it feels hard doesn't mean you're hitting that rep and reserve target. It's going to feel hard once you get to a certain percentage of weight that you can lift. So I really like having um, people go to failure with safe exercises on the last set of the first week of their mesocycle, because then you can go, okay, I thought that I was getting pretty close to failure at 10 reps, but I got 22 on this last set. So maybe I can go a little bit heavier on the next one. So um, that's a super common one as well. I feel like women definitely, uh, in particular women, don't push themselves hard enough just because it does start to hurt or burn and it does start to feel hard but that doesn't mean that you're at anywhere close to one rir absolutely and yeah i i take a similar approach of course because we're on the same team i think we could go similar approach in a lot of areas but where like clients new clients coming in a lot of times we'll do like hey across sets we want to do like two rir one to two one zero one and i want you to draw me a form video of this final set, this is zero one RIR. And again, like you made a great point there where it's like, we want it to be safe exercises. So a great ex- a great way to start might be like, hey, maybe we're doing like a chest supported machine row, a leg curl and a leg extension. And we're just going to start there, right? And okay, can you truly take it there? And a lot of times what you'll see is like the reps are like, okay, for my leg extension, I used 90 pounds for 10, 10. And then that final set was like 17. And then it's like, okay, in the notes, it's okay. I'm realizing now I definitely could have done more on the first two sets where a lot of times it was just creating awareness around that. That's the biggest piece. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, team. Well, that is what we have for y'all for today. As always, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time.